Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup. Deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, VMware Explore 2022 Recap. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, man? Good. It's the uh, the week after Explore, and I feel like the week went so fast, I didn't really capture everything that was going on. Like, <sighs> I mean, you you watch the main stage presentations, but I feel like I, I need to, to slow, slow motion or, you know, get out the DVR and, and look at what all actually was said. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was the thing. I mean, and you and I were constantly interviewing. So we have so much content to share uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. Uh, we've done some great interviews, but trying to do interviews at Explore and then also watch all of the sessions and the general sessions and the keynotes and all of the announcements. It's crazy. It's definitely time to unpack uh, and go through all those things. And so, yeah, we've got plenty of episodes to cover a lot of the announcements. The, the announcements were, man, private cloud, public cloud, on the edge, the, the multi-cloud story. I think there was so many, so many announcements that uh, I think it's going to take us months to finally unpack everything. But as far as the recap goes, I thought, man, there's no better person to have this conversation with than our very own CTO of VMware, Kit Colbert. Kit, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Absolutely. So Kit, yeah, you were obviously very busy as the CTO. I, we saw you on all the sessions, the general sessions, several keynotes and stuff. So you know, we've got about 30 minutes. Maybe we can just talk a little bit about VMware's multi-cloud story. Maybe if we have time, I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the innovation projects that you were sharing last week. Uh, and lastly, maybe a, just a, an overall take on your impression of, of VMware Explorer uh, in person finally. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was an exciting week. It was my first in-person uh, exp- well, Explore VM world yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. as CTO. So they uh, were keeping me busy, but it was awesome. Uh, tremendous amount of excitement and um, a lot of energy. So yeah, so we can definitely dive into that. But maybe starting with the multi-cloud story that featured very prominently in the general session and really throughout the the conference. You know, part of the evolution of the name of the conference, you know, going from VM World yeah. to VMware Explorer, and I know there was some contention around that <laughs> from from various folks, but I think it really helps hit hammer home this point that you know we are broadening our perspective very much, you know, and and as we all know, VM World has been about way more than virtualization for many many years, but I think it puts a finer point on it that we have evolved the, the overall conference, not just in name, but you know, in the, in the focus area that is very much a cloud focus, in particular a multi-cloud focus. And so um, I did hear a lot of positive things from folks about that. And you know, the other interesting thing real quick is that I, I saw a lot of first timers, interestingly, people who had not been to a VMworld previously were coming mm. to VMware Explorer. So anyway, some interesting points to debate there. But look, I mean, I, I think the reason that we're focused on multi-cloud so much is because of the fact that this is something that we hear from pretty much every customer that we talk to. You know, the data is pretty clear. It's like 70 plus, 80 plus percent of businesses out there are using more than one public cloud. And then when you add in uh, your on-prem data center, other edge locations, the reality is like you basically got a lot of applications, a lot of data sort of all over the place. And especially as we saw businesses 
do this sort of headlong rush into cloud over the last few years, kind of this cloud first policy. What we've seen is while they may have tried to standardize on one cloud, inevitably they ended up on multiple clouds, either because they acquired someone, a company that was using a different cloud, because one of their lines of business went off and started using different cloud capabilities, so on and so forth, right? And essentially what they would then do is kind of create these independent stacks of capabilities customized for each cloud. And this has really become the uh, what we call cloud chaos uh, phenomenon. And it was funny because we, we sort of debuted that term at Explore last week. And um, you know people told me afterwards, like, wow, it's a great term that very well describes <laughs> sort of what, yeah. <laughs> what I'm seeing. I'm curious, you know, for you guys, like, did you hear that sort of thing as well about cloud chaos, cloud smart? No, that, you know, always whenever there's some new marketing term that comes out, you know, I'm on, I'm on edge of like, okay, am I going to groan at this or am I going to embrace it? Or am I going to groan at first and then embrace it later? You know, but this was one that, that talking to customers, it hits home. You know, people go into cloud with the loftiest of ideas of, oh, we're going to go all in on this or all in on that. And then, you know, yep. cloud happens, they end up acquiring or they end up uh, needing to use a certain platform or their license. Various reasons take them different places. And yeah, it's it's chaotic. And if you're looking for solutions from you know one cloud for all problems, particularly multi-cloud, that it doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, I have a set, very similar conversations with customers last week. Many folks were talking about cloud chaos resonated because one of the one of the misconceptions is that oh, you go to the cloud and it's really easy. Uh, it's inexpensive and oh, by the way, everything's backed up. You're fine. Everything's totally fine and totally safe. Yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. obviously that's not the case. I mean, there are various levels of complexity, uh, whether it's just standing up an instance of an environment, uh, but then protecting that environment, uh, you know, let alone protecting it against hackers or, or making sure that you can restore your stuff. There's so many various um, um, things to consider when it comes to mm -hmm. cloud. So there are complexities. So I love the way the general session unfolded the migration from cloud chaos to cloud smart, but then just so simply just unfolded this whole, the cloud smart approach with the cross cloud services. I thought yeah. that was a really, and then, and then, wow, when you guys got on the stage and just unfolded the various applications that just, to me, it just brought it all together and made it look like, oh, okay, this is a really good story. Yeah, no, we worked a lot <laughs> on that. The, you know, the general session was not looking so hot about a week out like Wednesday, <laughs> the week before it was, it was a bit of a mess. So, you know, the team pulled it together really, really uh, well there at the last minute. We work well under pressure. I think. <laughs> um, no, but look, I mean, so this transition from cloud chaos to cloud smart, you know, what I fundamentally see it as is really an architectural transition. Part of the reason that we have cloud chaos today is because of this assumption that, or not really assumptions, because of this focus on a single cloud service implementation. So I'm going to go to AWS and I'm going to use a bunch of the services specific to AWS to solve my security problems, to solve my software supply chain problems, uh, to solve my you know, access problems, whatever it might be. Again, there's a whole suite or set of things that you got to go figure out. Right. And and sort of, you know, if you're just using single cloud services, you're going to be naturally recreating the same solution across different clouds. And what we found is that, you know, customers notice this and they notice the um, duplication. And so what we're seeing across the customer base is the creation of various types of teams, often called, you know, platform engineering teams or platform operations teams. Essentially, customers uh, and businesses in general are creating the, their own sort of cross-cloud services, so like these kind of cobbled together uh, platforms that they have. The thing is that 
they don't call them cross cloud that they just, they're just trying to solve their problem in a consistent way. Right. Yeah. And so I think we noticed that we've been noticing that over the past few years and a lot of our products have, have kind of evolved toward that direction. And that's just organic based on the customer feedback that we were hearing. Right. But I think there was this realization uh, last year, really, uh, at VMworld, where we we said, okay, this is a phenomenon that's happening. You know, we're responding to it. We see customers responding to it. So let's give it a name and a focus. And that's really last year where we debuted the VMware cross-cloud services portfolio, which is really, um, again, in my mind, an architectural shift. Because what you know, so the question becomes, what is a cross-cloud service exactly? And so a cross-cloud service is a service that uh, can run in one or multiple clouds, but it supports functionality across multiple clouds. So for instance, you know, you look at something like cloud health and it can do cost management across clouds or on-prem, right? To vSphere environments, or you look at Tanzu and it can deliver you a secure software supply chain across clouds. So you implement it once, you have a con- you know, consistent CI/CD pipeline, but then it can output to an AWS or an Azure, or, you know, wherever it is that you want to actually deploy that application. And, and so again, it's like this evolution from solely relying on single cloud services to now having these cross cloud services at your disposal and how that leads to cloud smart is then being able to be thoughtful around where do i want brown saying and deciding where do i want to have consistency across clouds and where do i want to still take advantage of those single cloud services i think one thing that people may may miss because it's a bit of a subtlety is that we're not saying that you only should use cross cloud services and never use you know the the native public cloud services like let's sure. say an RDS or a Dynamo uh, from AWS those services have a lot of value and what we're seeing is continual innovation in the public cloud space across many different areas right and so we want to have enable businesses to take advantage of those but we want to enable them to do so thoughtfully, i.e. I'm not forced to use anything. I can choose to use a cross-cloud service or a single cloud service. And instead, what I'm going to focus on are the business requirements and how I mix these two types of services together to best address those business requirements. Okay, so you can still meet governance while using the data, the databases and platforms that the developers need to move quickly. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's a really, really important point because what we do see uh, in cloud choice, oftentimes is driven by developers' perception of what's best of breed. That's saying, oh, I need like an AI or ML technology. And, you know, for this one, maybe AWS is the best. For another use case, maybe Google's better. And so you see, you know, development teams, maybe even the same development team, but for different apps going different places. And they want to be able to use those best of breed cloud services. And so how do you enable them to use that? And what that means is that you have to standardize certain things to enable freedom of choice and other things. If you, if you enable freedom of choice everywhere, then there's no standardization and this is the cloud chaos right. we find ourselves in. So I think it's really around thought, being thoughtful around, okay, where do I want to standardize? Where do I want there uh, to allow there to be some heterogeneity and diversity of uh, cloud capabilities? No, I, I like that because thinking back, I mean, there were a lot of applications over the years that were built on, you know, these are the tools you have. This is what you're going to use. You know, the developers didn't get to pick and you'd end up with kind of some crazy architectures, people building, you know, pseudo object systems on file systems with giant GUIDs for folder names or, or you know, uh, using Microsoft SQL to store 4 billion bird photos, you know, the, <laughs> like, have you heard of NoSQL? Have you heard of object store? Like there's other, there's other thing or telemetry data. Yep. Like there's, you know, you are potentially going to use 20 times the resources if you just try to shove everything into the same two platforms. And so as well as just move a lot slower. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's the thing, right? Like what we've seen from the cloud. I mean, if you look at before the cloud era, there was like one database and there was probably an Oracle database or Microsoft SQL database. And that's kind of all you had as a developer. That's where you store your data. Like, you know, didn't matter what the question was. The answer was that database, right? And so what we've seen from the cloud, uh, and this is both public clouds, but also third-party you know, vendors out there as well. Think about Snowflake or MongoDB or folks like Confluent you know, driving Kafka. You're just seeing a tremendous amount of innovation. And there is now more choice for developers than ever. And so I do think, going back to, to, to what you mentioned earlier, is that we do want to really be thoughtful around how do we enable developers to get that flexibility, but also have the right sort of guardrail such that we do have security, compliance, all these other things, um, privacy that are super important, in fact, critical for any sort of enterprise. Yeah, I, I was actually talking to Kelsey Hightower. Uh, we spoke to him last week okay. and, we, and we were talking about, uh, you know, for developers, the software supply chain uh, mm-hmm. and obviously developing you, you've you've been in, you've been in engineering for years uh, you know you've been at vmware for 19 years even though you look like you just turned 19 you've been in <laughs> vmware long enough uh and you've been heavily responsible for a lot of the the code that comes from vmware but um you know that has changed over the years how software is developed uh you know we went from everyone just writing their own code to wow wow i could just get something off the internet there's a lot of open yep. source code that's available yep. uh and so the 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 software supply chain um, security becomes more important than ever. Uh, uh, and so how is VMware addressing uh, security for the software supply chain? Yeah, no, it's a huge, huge problem and uh, area of risk for companies. You know, I think everyone's aware of things like solar winds, which is, you know, a very public supply chain attack. And, you know, what, what's kind of wild about that is that, you know, they're, they're code repository was fine. That was not altered. That code was all good. Where the hackers got in was into the build systems. And so the binaries that were built based on that code actually became infected with, you know, malicious code. And so that's, you know, a very scary thing because it's kind of hard. How do you, how do you figure that out? How do you know about that? And then, so that's the one hand, you have that sort of risk. On the other hand, you know, here in the U.S., the U.S. government uh, through executive order, I think it's 14028 now is moving toward any government vendor supplier uh, and software has to have an SBOM, right? Uh, software Bill of Materials. And so there's all those sorts of requirements that are coming out. So essentially what you're going to see is increasing regulatory scrutiny in this space as well. So anyway, all this is saying, okay, we got to get much more serious about uh, supply chain. So this is a big focus for us, obviously. You know, Tanzu becomes really the, the focal point there, specifically Tanzu application platform. And really, you know, bringing a bunch of powerful capabilities around Things like, uh, you know, Choreographer, which is one of the um, open source uh, offerings uh, or pro- projects that we drive here at VMware, helping to coordinate essentially what what your supply chain looks like and all the different parts to it. Things like cloud native build packs and like a whole bunch of that sort of automation that we're building in. What we're doing with uh, Harbor, our container registry and integrated CVE scanning and container image signing. And in fact, we just announced uh, Project Narrows, which extends Harbor with um, something called a cloud native security inspector. And so that sits within a Kubernetes cluster and can dynamically inspect the state of, uh, of a container of running containers, actually. Oh, wow. So and not just like Harbor with the build scanning and Claire to figure out like what's potentially vulnerable inside of it, but actually once it's yep. deployed look in the memory or, you know, look at what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So basically is someone, you know, getting in there and changing it on the fly. And so then, then, you know, you can quarantine or take other actions in an automated sort of policy based way. And then of course, you know, leveling up a bit, 
you not only have the sort of core supply chain uh, technologies, but then you also have the philosophy and mindset of how you're building your applications, right? And one of the things that Tanzu tries to do is to facilitate developers, app teams, building apps in such a way that they're just inherently more secure. This whole notion of sort of like repaving, for instance, how often can you automatically recreate your environment? How often can you automatically rotate uh, your keys? How quickly can you spin a new build if you do see that there is a vulnerability? And so this notion of repaving, which is basically recreating the environment from a known good state, i.e. something that's checked into your code repository, yeah. so it's kind of infrastructure as code, uh, the quicker you can do that, the smaller of a window that you give a hacker who actually is successful in getting into one of those nodes, right? If you're blowing it away every hour, they've got at most an hour to do something, which is not very much time. Usually they need more time than that. So it's also about how do you, not just the supply chain itself, but then how do you ensure that the architecture of the application uh, is able to embrace some of these uh, best practices around security and so forth. Is that where Tanzu application platform comes into play or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think, uh, again, that it helps both on the the core technology of the supply chain, as well as these uh, principles around um, microservices, uh, the cloud native design principles that uh, support things like repaving, key rotation, et cetera. Yeah, so there, there's you know so much of that, that that goes into Tanzu and really trying to take a lot of that burden of complexity off of the developers, the app teams, the platform teams, just fix it in yeah. the actual product itself. Very cool. Yeah, so... I don't, I don't know if you know this, but John and I actually had a conversation last week uh, with uh, Dan Chesterman, uh, who also oh, spoke with okay. you. Great guy oh, yes, yes, from yes, the yes, Australian Stock actually. Exchange. And yep. holy cow. Yeah. That story alone on VMware's <laughs> enterprise blockchain, how they're helping the Australian Stock Exchanges is pretty remarkable. Uh, yep. Yeah, I remember talking to you a while back when we first started talking about blockchain at VMware and, and we were making those jokes of like, is VMware into cryptocurrency? <laughs> uh, but it's really cool yeah. to see where we've come and, and to see companies like the Australian Stock Exchange, ASX, just like being fully dependent on, on VMware blockchain. That, that was a pretty impressive yeah. story. No, it's a really, really big uh, monumental shift they're doing with their uh, settlement and, and clearing uh, function. That They have this thing called Chess that is 30 years old. It's written in COBOL. It's like, you know, runs on Itanium servers. I'm like, I didn't know they made Itanium <laughs> servers still. <laughs> is that still a thing? But apparently it is. <clears throat> so in any case, um, and it's interesting as well to see sort of what, what sprung up around that in terms of, you know, they have all these counterparties, these other traders who are essentially caching um, the state of that chess system in, in their own uh, in their own local systems. And so what you see is kind of this like a uh, very interesting network of data and, and, and uh, parties that are trying to interact. And so this wholesale re-architecture they're doing to rally around blockchain kind of embraces all that. Like, if these guys, these other people that are trading on the securities exchange um, that ASX has, if they're keeping copies of the data, like, but they're doing it in their own kind of ad hoc way, which has potential for bugs, other things, let's just do it right, i.e. blockchain, like a shared database, multiple instances across all these different parties. That way they have their direct access to it. And they can also you know, have anyone write to it as well. And you have the right sort of security and privacy and all that stuff. So it's, it's one of those things where you start to dig into the use case and you're like, wow, okay, so this is kind of tailor-made for block the blockchain technology. And so it is really cool to see that, you know, Broadridge Financial is running uh, our blockchain offering in production. Uh, they're doing about $100 billion a day uh, on the repo market in terms of repo trades and so wow. forth. 
yeah, so that that was shocking to me. I, last I heard it was thirty five billion a day. Now it's a hundred. So like wow. So they're scaling up. So you know, I think it's very early days, and clearly the focus right now is still very much on capital markets use cases. But what we're going to see is my belief that we're going to see this evolve to encompass things like supply chain, things like the housing market, things like manufacturing, anywhere where you've got multiple parties, multiple customers that need to have shared access to that writable database. I think we're going to see blockchain. And I think all the investments we're making in Tanzu in terms of modern distributed applications will apply really well to blockchain because blockchain, you know, decentralized apps like dApps or dApps uh, running on top of blockchain, uh, they are distributed, but they're actually operated by multiple parties, which is why they're called decentralized. So it's the same sort of underlying architectural principles of a you know cloud native application. The main difference is that you have multiple operators, and that's where you need some of the, the Byzantine fault tolerant type algorithms that the blockchain has to ensure that you can get reach consensus and you can't have malicious actors screwing stuff up and all these other things that blockchain helps prevent against. So anyway, yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, still very early in that market, but again, I think it's going to be absolutely massively disruptive over time. Yeah, I completely agree. But crazy week for sure. I mean, we John and I had many conversations, not only with executives, uh, but partners and even VMware customers and, and just got a lot of really great stories. Uh, we, we've been covering all the announcements as well. I'd love to hear from you, Kit. What was your week like at Explore? Like what were some of the technologies or even some of the conversations that you went back home and said that stood out to me? Oh man. <clears throat> so, um, so many, where do I choose from? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So one of the, one of the challenges that I see, uh, at VMware right now is that, you know, it's part of our name as well, like VM. So many people still see us as just doing virtualization. Right. And I think that's part of the the shift with Explore as well to try and say, no, no, we're like really about doing many other things as we, as we've been doing for the past 15 plus years. So there's this one, uh, customer that I met with over the phone a few weeks back who happened to uh, come to explore and and brought some of uh, his team, but not all of his team. And I think this person was also one of these people who didn't really see the full breadth of what we do. But I remember meeting with him on the last day of the conference on you know Thursday, and we we're sort of reflecting on the conference. And he was like, wow, he's like, my eyes have been opened. Like, you guys are doing so much. He's like, I wish I would have brought my whole cloud team here. There's ah. like so much, you know, relevant for them. And because in his mind, he's like thinking VMware sort of on-prem, you know, so forth. And, you know, I was like, hey, man, we got a you know, conference in Barcelona in a couple of months. And, you know, he was seriously thinking about going there. So that's great. But the point is that I think we succeeded in really getting the message across that we, you know, we still do virtualization. And I don't want to downplay that at all. It still is essential to what we do. But we also do so much more and so much more that is independent of that. Like Tanzu, it runs great on top of vSphere, but it can also run on the native public clouds. You know, things like uh, Cloud Health or Aria, um, you know, really designed for modern apps and public clouds. And so there is a, you know, an evolution and a shift that we're doing as uh, an organization. You're, you're seeing it uh, in the conference and you're seeing it in many other ways, but it really reflects what's happening in the industry. And so I think that customer conversation really just that resonated strongly for me that uh, we got to keep pushing there. And, you know, uh, one, another conversation was with, uh, actually with Kelsey Hightower as well. And this one was backstage before the general session. I'd never actually met him in person before. So, you know, we were kind of, we, we knew each other from various uh, either events we've been to, but not in person or, you know, Twitter exchanges or, you know, whatever random sort of he's a good encounters. Dude. Yeah. He's great. He's so cool. And one of the best 
storytellers out there. His five minutes on stage, I think, you know, he just <laughs> he did so much um, with that really simple story he told. And we're kind of talking about that and talking about how, you know, we as a company are evolving, right? Virtualization was kind of the starting point for us, but we do so much more than that now. And we're also talking about, okay, so how do we bring the community along with that as well? And uh, I thought, you know, Kelsey's uh, focus in, in, in his talk was really about that saying, hey, like VI admins out there, you have like, this is, you know, this container world, this cloud native world, it's not that different. Like we have to solve a lot of the same problems that we've already solved. Right with VMs. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the cloud native Kubernetes world is learning a lot of lessons from what we did with virtualization, you know, many years back. It's like security is still an issue. Operations are, you know, performance management is still an issue. All these things are still issues. And so I think it's really around how we, and, and then, you know, this conversation continued at uh, a VMUG um, leaders lunch that I went to and had a, a panel session with Ragu and Submit at. And there again, we talked about, okay, how do we take all these practitioners that we have forward. And I think probably the biggest shift that I see there is really the shift from something that is UI, predominantly UI-based to something that's predominantly API-based. And I think if I look at it, a lot of folks are starting to make that shift as they start using PowerShell, PowerCLI. So they're starting to embrace the command line and, and scripting and these sorts of things. And I think as you do that, it's not actually that much of a jump to get to APIs and sort of automation. But I see that, you know, I, I do see a lot of, uh, what's the term? I mean, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome, but kind of like worry about oh, what absolutely. people can, yeah. can make that shift, right? So my ask is, hey, like, what, what do you need from us? How can we help you on that journey? And so that was one of the topics we had at the VMUG Leaders Lunch, uh, talked with Kelsey about, and, you know, very much interested in hearing about from the broader community as well. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. And I really like the idea that there are customers that came to VMware Explore and thought like, oh, this is just a conference about infrastructure and virtualization and learn very quickly that VMware is a much bigger story. Obviously, yeah. the core is around, you know, vSphere and and vSAN and all that stuff is still there and, and available for our customers. Uh, but man, there's so, so much more. And uh, so that's really cool. I, I really appreciate your insight and the conversations that you shared with us. Um, um, uh, Kit, any closing thoughts on VMware Explorer? No, yeah. Look, I mean, I think there were some worries coming into it, like with COVID, and, you know, the Omicron wave still going around. You got T&E cutbacks, you know, you got all sorts yeah. of things. And we're like, you know, are people going to show up? What's going to happen? But very pleasantly surprised to see the the number of people. We had, you know, well over 10,000 folks there. It felt, uh, you know, very energetic, very positive. I think people were happy to be, to be back to seeing a lot of uh, people they hadn't seen in many years in person. So it was just like this uh, great positive energy. And I think coming out of the pandemic, the timing for the evolution of the conference to become VMware Explorer was actually perfectly placed. You know, one of the things I, I think with COVID is that it, it, it's, you know, it you in this period we've had where we haven't been able to meet in person, we, we have lost some traditions, right? Some of the things we took for granted, we knew well a few years ago, have sort of gone to the wayside. But I think the opportunity there is to create new traditions. And I think that's exactly what we saw at Explore last week, is that we are taking a lot of the strengths from VMworld and that community and really 
evolving that and pushing it to the next level with the focus on multi-cloud, with the focus on cross-cloud. So I came out of it super, super uh, energized, excited, and very much looking forward to explore in Barcelona and then continuing to engage with the community on the multi-cloud journey toward uh, out of cloud chaos toward cloud smart. Absolutely. I was super jazzed to be there at Explore and I'm super <laughs> jazzed to be there in, in Barcelona. Jazzed, I tell you. Jacked. <laughs> yeah. Jacked. <laughs> really good stuff. Kit, thanks so much for joining us and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for this VMware Explore 2022 recap episode. So if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast.vmware.com. You can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. A big thanks to Kit Colbert for joining us this week and giving us all the recap info on Explore 2022. We're back next week, but until then, bye for now.